This is the Scott Bradley Show podcast. Let me get on with this because, as I said, there has been a little bit of something new with the LRT. The LRT, of course, is the debate discussion topic that just keeps on going in this city. We may never actually get to an answer. We could all be dead and we're still be talking about LRT. They may engrave LRT in all of our headstones. I was a survivor of the LRT debate. That may be on all of our headstones and in all of our obituaries. However, today, a number of counselors announced that they will be using some of their discretionary office budget to spend on a poll that is going to be done of 2,000 to 2,500 Hamiltonians to gauge either support or opposition to LRT. For all the talk that we've had for weeks and months and everything about, well, geez, is this city in support of LRT or not? Well, I don't know. How can you tell? It's always anecdotal. Well, now there is going to actually be a poll done. What will it tell? Well, Donna Skelly is the counselor for Ward 7. She is one of the counselors who has decided to invest some of her office budget, as a number of other counselors have, to fund this poll and, I guess, get a, an actual, more scientific feel for what the community is thinking. Counselor, thanks for joining me tonight. Well, it's nice to talk to you. Uh, before we get going in this, I know there is you, I know there is Counselor Whitehead, I know there is Counselor Conley, and I know there is Counselor Marula, and that actually crosses over pro and con counselors. It's not all those in one side. Is there anyone else that I'm missing? Who else is in, who's investing in this? Do we know? Uh, there are a number of counselors, I believe, and I'm just going to do this in my head. I'll let them, let them come out of the closet, if mm. you will. And, and, uh, but uh, there's more than that four? There are a number. I'm just... I'm just doing a count in my head. There are at least eight okay. of us, and, the, and we are right across the city, two from the lower city, um, the mountain counselors, and then the burbs. What uh, we tried to do was have a good representation of, of ward counselors right across the city so that this would be a pretty accurate uh, assessment of, of how people feel about LRT. It's a big poll. It's a lot of people. So the outcome, the results, should be pretty accurate. This may be the dumbest question you will be asked in the history of your time on council, but um, why have we never done something like this before? Or have we that I've just forgotten about? I don't know. I don't think they've ever gauged interest. I believe that the... Why? I don't know. I mean, I I came in on a council opposed to it from the beginning. Somebody wants this train. (laughs) I don't know why. I still have no idea what is really driving this. It it just it doesn't make sense to me. It really doesn't make sense to me. I certainly uh, it, it's a it's a lot of money. It has changed the the length, the the route. The we don't. There's so many unanswered questions. How much is it going to cost to operate? I mean, it just doesn't make sense. And you would assume that somebody would have gauged public interest before we agreed to move forward on a project that's going to cost taxpayers at least a billion dollars. And that's just capital expenditures. That's not operating costs. And nobody has gauged public interest. I don't know why, but I think this will be very interesting. I know I was reading some of the comments online, both the Hamilton Spectator and CBC News are reporting that the poll will be conducted. And, and they do mention some of the other councillors' names. But um, Councillor Marilla said it's, it's not an attempt to stop the LRT it is my attempt to stop the LRT. It may not be his, but I, I will say that I will do everything I can to stop the LRT. 
I don't think it's it's what we should be doing. I don't think it's the smartest thing to do with a billion dollars that we don't have. I mean, I'm repeating myself. But the interesting thing is, Scott, as we get, perhaps as we get closer to the day of putting the shovel in the ground, or perhaps simply that more and more people are, are becoming aware of the fact that this is or could be uh, a reality in the city of Hamilton, more people come up to me telling me they don't want it. I would suggest that it's it's overwhelmingly um, against. The well, LA and team. we're going to find that out, right? I mean, that's what right. this poll presumably is going to tell us. And, and now, um, back in September, I think it was, and I asked uh, Councillor Marula is in favor of LRT, and I asked him to come on today. He's he's not feeling well. He's got a cold, and he said he couldn't do it. And I believe him because if he's not going to come on here, he's usually very willing to come on. Um, me, he is sick. And so back in, I think it was September though, that he argued in council or made a point that a referendum, when this, when the whole referendum idea was going around, it couldn't be done because it would put the city on legal shaky ground because somehow it would break some of the terms of the deal. Is Councillor Scale, or is this what you're able to do in place of a referendum to essentially achieve the same thing in, in some ways without stepping into that legal quagmire? I don't think it's even close to that. What it's simply going to do is give us an idea. I know that one councillor, Councillor Conley, has done a, a, just a very um, unscientific, if you will, uh, poll, and he his results were overwhelmingly against, I think 70% against the LRT. So this is in the Stony, Stony Creek area. I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of the burbs reflected that same figure. This will not give us any sort of a legal uh, stance, but it certainly will push... Uh, a message one way or the other. And maybe I am wrong. Maybe there is overwhelming support for the LRT. And if there is, then we have to seriously consider that. I don't think that that will be the case, but we will find out when the results are known. It's a forum poll. It's a legitimate poll. Uh, These are very credible pollsters. I was going to ask you that. At the end of this, nobody is going to say this was a sham poll. No, and and I'm telling you, it's a very, very uh, simple, I think there are three questions very clear, not misleading. We all agreed upon it, and the sampling is is big. 2,100 people or 2,500 people in a city this size is a huge sample size. From across and the I, city, corner to right corner of the city? the city? I believe it's, it's divided into three parts, the burbs, the mountain, and the lower part of the city. So it's a pretty good sampling in all areas. Okay, so we know... I know what those like yourself and Councillor Whitehead who are more opposed to this, I know what you're going to say if the numbers come back and they are strongly negative towards LRT. What happens if they come back and they say 70% of Hamiltonians want this? Well, then I would certainly have to step back and say, okay, then I'm I'm on the wrong page here and I would reevaluate what I'm talking about. I don't know why they would be. There are too many unanswered questions. I would be surprised. Uh, I still think that we need to know how much it's going to cost to operate. We will have um, our first LRT subcommittee meeting next week, and we were given access to the the EA, the Environmental Assessment Report, which is 4,000 pages. And it's based on 2011 information, a line that it doesn't include, um, or I should say it includes the spur line. So already the information that is being presented to us has changed. It's based on outdated data, data. The other thing it doesn't include is a cost analysis, and I think that that is paramount before we can move forward on this. We have to know how much it's going to cost. And also, um, you're talking about a government that doesn't have a good track record with 
spending billions of dollars on any project. You can go right back to the, um, uh, uh, not OHIP, but our health carts and, and electronic uh, uh, health uh, uh, reporting. In, in, in right, right back to e-health, to the hydrophile, to the cancellation of the gas plants. Um, the province is, has a lousy record. Now they're mired in a lawsuit between Metrolinx and, and Bombardier. And then we find out just this past week that Presto wants more funding, more of a higher percentage, quite a substantial hike in its percentage of what it uh, will be getting on, on the ridership, on its share of ridership uh, fees. So, and these are figures they're not telling us. I wanted our own transit, new transit director to tell us what is the province saying in terms of the new Presto agreement. So in other words, Scott, so you understand, Presto is going to be the card that they want used universally for all transit across Ontario. They also want a percentage of whatever is generated from that card. It was at X percent. Now it's as high as 16 percent, which is something like three or four times the original amount. But they're not telling us that. And if we don't use Presto, we don't get money from tax from the gas taxes. So we're being held hostage, yet we don't know what, what they're going to be negotiating. A lot of unanswered questions to, to agree to move forward on, on such a costly project. Let's get back to the poll for just a minute, because mm-hmm. when this poll comes out, and, and do you know, what's the date that we're expecting an answer for this? Do we know? No. Okay. I, we were hoping there was a bit of a rush before the 28th. I hope that Metrolinx doesn't think or, or the, um, the city isn't expecting us to vote one way or the other on the 28th. I certainly won't be voting in favor of. I would like to have a put a pause button on any sort of an agreement to accept or, or move forward with the environmental assessment. It's just crazy to come forward with a report, a 4,000-page report, no discussion, and expe- and again, no answers to anything related to money. But um, when this report, when this when this poll comes out, though, mm-hmm. though if it shows a positive response to the LRT. I fully expect that those who are opposed are going to simply say, well, there was something wrong with this poll. There was something wrong with the question. There's something no, wrong with who was no. asked and vice versa. And if it's, and if it shows very negatively, those who are in favor of the LRT are going to say the same things or going to say, well, we have to do a better job of then explaining the benefits or something. I'm, my question is, do you really expect that a poll, regardless of how credible, is going to resolve this and change people's minds. Are the people who are the most in favor of LRT, and I'm talking counselors, are they going to change their tune if the thing comes back and we have 70 or 75% of Hamiltonians against it or vice versa? I, I think so. I mean, if you want to be reelected, you might want to listen to what your constituents are saying because it will become an election issue. If we are a year and a half away from our next election and next we expect the contract to be awarded for the LRT if 70% and I'm just using it if 58% sure probably a closer number one way or the other you're right 51% say well let's let's make it a little more realistic 60% one way or the other say that they are in favor or against and we're heading into an election I think you have to listen to what people are saying but the confusing part about this is going to be and you highlighted it yourself this is broken into three parts the downtown the burbs and the mountain I think you said what happens if you're a downtown councillor and you have 80% of the downtown population that says they're in favor, of course you're going to vote for it. And if you're in the suburbs and 80% say they're against it, of course you're going to vote against it. It won't really change anything. But that will force our 
councillors to, to make up their mind on whether they're against it or whether they're supporting it. Now, the downtown core, except for Chad, and I wouldn't say Councillor Collins, I wouldn't say he's really downtown, but he's lower city. All of the lower city um, councillors are in favour of LRT, as is the mayor. Um, you know, if the, what will the mayor say if it comes back and it's 70% opposed? That would be the interesting thing, because he can't, you know, associate with one specific area. But if the burbs come back and they suggest that people are adamantly opposed to it, I think that the councillors will probably, um, and, and many have already voiced opposition to it. I know that Councillor Conley is, is not in favour of it. I believe Councillor Johnson and Partridge are really questioning it. Um, Councillor Pearson has questions, not saying whether she is for it or against it, but, you know, on the mountain, Councillor Whitehead and I are certainly not in favour. Uh, Councillor Whitehead has, has, has raised many, um, questions regarding it. And, uh, so I think that, you know, the people who might actually want to take a stand, this may, this poll may give them, um, some, at least some indication how their constituents feel. Councillor Donna Skelly, always appreciate the time. Thanks for doing this. Nice talking to you. Uh, that is, uh, we asked, by the way, as I said earlier, we asked uh, Councillor Marula, who is in favor, has expressed f- being in favor of LRT, but also has contributed to this poll that is being done. Now, you, some people may say, well, why didn't I ask someone else who is in favor of LRT to come on as a councillor? The reason was, when we saw this story, I was trying to find those who will use some of their budget, some of their office budget to go into this poll. And the only one at the time that we came onto the show, the only counselor that I knew of who was a pro LRT counselor who was also being involved in this poll was Councillor Marula. If there are others, and I don't know still who they are, we were not trying to exclude them. I just didn't know who they were. That's why we only had the one side on tonight because I'm happy. I Listen, I would happily listen to the other side because what I'm really interested in, in this whole thing is, if this comes back as a strong denouncement of LRT, what will happen to the counselors who are in favor of it? And vice versa. If this comes back as an overwhelming endorsement of LRT, what will happen to those, what will those who are against it do? Now, Councillor Skelly has said that she would seriously consider changing her position if it comes back with a strong endorsement that the vast majority of Hamiltonians want the LRT. But we're not getting a referendum. This is as close as we're going to get to having anything resembling a referendum. So here's the point for you. Sometime, and I don't know when it's going to be. I don't know when this, it doesn't say yet when this poll, when the polling is actually going to begin. I am assuming soon. If someone calls your home and says they are a pollster from Forum who is doing a, a poll on the LRT, Know what you are going to say. Know what your position is because you are going to be asked and you're not going to have able to have a referendum. You're not going to be able to have any other say. If you're one of the ones who actually gets called, be ready to give an answer. Whether it's for it, whether it's against it, doesn't matter. Be ready because this is going to be your chance. And we will see in, I don't know, it usually takes a month or so, maybe less for these things to come back. We will see. For the first time, really, that I can think of, we will see how this city is really feeling about LRT. And what I suspect, we got to go to break, what I suspect is going to be the response to this, 
the suburbs and the mountain are going to give it a big, a big thumbs down. And the downtown part of the refer, the, the poll that's done is going to give it a huge thumbs up and how that all balances out and what the percentage is then going to be. That's going to be the interesting thing. And Councillor Skelly was absolutely right. There is only really one elected official on council who is going to be caught in an interesting position potentially in this. The downtown councillors, if it's overwhelmingly in favor of the LRT, they are going to vote LRT as they have been and they will be bolstered by their voters. The suburbs and the mountains who have been against it, if the numbers are, as I expect, very low, they will be bolstered and emboldened by the fact that those numbers are low. Mayor Fred Eisenberger is the one elected official who could find himself in an interesting conundrum here if overall, if the overall picture is negative towards LRT, he is the one elected official who's going to find himself in a in an interesting spot. What will he do? Will he say, I am going to succumb if that's the right word, to the will of the people who were polled in this, and I'm going to change my idea and say we don't want LRT? Am I going to say no? Those people just don't know what we're talking about. Or am I going to say no, it's for the betterment of the city and those people, I really, you know, I'm sorry, but I have to ignore you. He will be in an interesting spot. And sometime in the next few days, we're going to try and get him on here to talk about this before this poll comes up. Very quickly, Luke. There, there was, though, an interesting thing that I found in the Spectator article that when you're talking about the mayor and, and what the poll will say, where Councillor Marula talked about a poll he did about the Red Hill and how his ward was against the Red Hill, but Mar- Councillor Marula went ahead and voted for the Red Hill anyway. And I think that's the position that the mayor could be in, is that maybe the poll numbers, because I, I honestly don't believe it's going to show these drastic numbers one way or the other, but the mayor could be put in the situation where he has to vote against what, say, 60, 55, 60% of Hamiltonians say because he believes it's for the betterment of the city. Yes, And if it's a 55 to 45, that's fine. You can do that. If it's 70, and I don't know if the numbers will be that high. I don't really expect that they would be that high. But if it was 65 or 70% against, and I'm only saying against because he's been in favor of it, Mayor Eisenberger has already been voted out of office once because he took a position on a stadium that was unpopular at the time. And Sam Marula is as safe as any councillor in this city. He could vote an unpopular position on 10 different issues and he'll still get reelected. Fred Eisenberger does not have that cushion or that luxury, depending on who else runs for mayor, let's I mean, be honest. As long as he doesn't go up against the Hamilton Tiger Cats again, I think he'll probably be okay. Because that really, se- realistically, that's the only if way that If 70% of people in this city say they are opposed to it and he goes against that, He is going to find out how much against that they are, because that could then become a very, very key election issue. And and this may be just... uh, Or it could be nothing, or it could be hot air. This this may be naive, but I do not believe that 70% of the people in this city are informed enough on this issue to say they are against it. I don't think infor- I don't think being informed has much to do with it. I well, think I think they everybody knows about it and everyone has no, an but opinion. See, that's that's my concern about this poll is the fact that we we and and the councillors as well, we live in this bubble where the LRT seems like the most important thing in the world, but if you go out on the streets and you talk to people, they have no idea what you're talking about. And that's my concern with this poll is that some people aren't going to have any idea when that phone rings what the question is about 
but by the tone of the questions, they're going to say no. And that's not an accurate answer to a poll. Or they're going to say yes. Let's but you want to know, they could but, say yes, and but, that's not an accurate answer to a poll. But we got to go to break. But you want to know something? There are a lot of people who go to the polls and vote for mayors and councillors and don't have a clue who they are either. So sure, it's no that's different. A too. We have governments that have been elected by people not having a clue what the heck they're voting for. We don't say you can't have a vote in this, and we don't say we're not going to listen to you. It's the exact same thing. It's just in this case, it's a phone interview. That's why I said, be prepared. Know what's going to come. If the phone rings for you, know what you're going to say. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900 CHML. I am one of those people when I go to figure out whether I can afford a mortgage, for example, which hasn't happened all that often. I like to figure out, okay, in a worst case scenario, if my wife or I or someone else were to lose our job, could we still afford to pay the bills? I am someone who tends to be cautious when it comes to money. Not everyone is that, and I'm not saying that's the better way or the worst way. I'm simply saying that's how I look at money. And, and from a government perspective, I prefer a fiscally conservative government that is smart with its money rather than throwing it around. Again, personal preference. So I, I noticed the other day, I think it was last week, but late last week, when Statistics Canada came out with a number that, to me, to someone who thinks the way I do, sounds rather alarming. And that is this. Canadians, on average, owe $1.67 for every dollar of disposable income that we have. We owe $1.67 for every dollar that we have available to spend. To someone who thinks worst case scenario wise, that sounds like a very significant amount of money that we are behind. Question is, is it, or is that just my philosophy on money? David Gowling is a Hamilton based licensed insolvency trustee with MNP debt. He joins me now, David, thanks for doing this tonight. Yeah. Good evening, Scott. Um, I just introduced that as saying to me, that sounds like a bit of a concerning and almost a frightening number. Is it a frightening number or is that just, oh, it's okay. It's fine. It's within reason. Well, well, keeping in mind with that number, um, that would include, say, people like yourself who are, are actually below that number. So if I if I look at the clients that I'm seeing, they're well above that number. They could be, you know, two, two and a half times their income is, is just debt. And so they're struggling every day just trying to make the minimum payments, pay the interest, and just aren't getting ahead. Is that commonplace or would that be really rare, though? Uh, it, it's probably more common than you think. And, and what tends to happen is a lot of people don't realize in, in this whole budget that they're actually spending more than they make. Because what happens is you, you get behind that month, so you, you dip into the credit card to pay for the repairs, or you use the line of credit just to get you by. And then month after month, that balance gets bigger. It doesn't get smaller. So when we look at a number, sort of like a dollar sixty-seven, is this yep. would this number be something that is in the ballpark of what we always have, or is that a number that's going up? I mean, if we went back to nineteen seventy, was that number the same kind of thing, or are we slowly raising that year after year? Well, well the number has been going up and up. Uh, if, we, if we look at the number, we're, we're really not much different than before the, the recession hit um, back in two thousand eight. Uh, Canadians, you know, they weren't too bad. It was the U.S. that was up around that numbers, and then they got hit far worse when the recession hit them. And we thought we were, you know, doing well at, at our side. And with the interest rates being lower, people are taking on more and more debt. And now that number's got to this, you know, huge, huge level. So how how much farther it's going to go, that's, that's the tough question. 
How did we get here, though? Because it, I'm assuming, David, and tell me if I'm wrong, I'm assuming that most people are reasonably smart about their money. Most people are not completely careless saying, oh, I'll just bury myself in whatever amount of debt I can get buried in. How did we end up getting here then? Well, I, I don't think it's on purpose. And, and most people, it, it's things like, you know, you get that car bill where, um, you know, it was $2,000, didn't quite have it that month. And then, you know, three months later, oh, now the roof is leaking, got to replace the shingles. So all these things pile up over time. And when, when I see how people are doing just, you know, job-wise, well, you know, incomes really aren't going up much, but the expenses are. So they got to find some place to, to pay this. They get into the debt trap, and they're, you know, hopeful that at some point they're going to be able to dig themselves out of this, and that point isn't happening. So that's where they're dipping into lines of credit on the home because the values are going up. So all this cheap money, because it's a low interest rate, but they're using that to pay off, you know, a short-term credit card. So you're, you're taking credit card debt that should be one, two months, and now you're putting it against the house and stretching it out over 20 years. David, by the way, whatever position you're in right now, stay there because we're, you're fading in and out sometimes with the cell phone, but you're perfect right now. So don't okay. move wherever you are right, right. now. Um, okay. So cheap income or not income, cheap credit has clearly been part of the issue here. And this is, look, if I'm a bank, I of course want to sell people cheap credit because it's money that they will then borrow for me and there'll be interest and I can then make money. If I'm a bank, there's that's part of the business plan, but are the banks then at fault or some way to blame for this? Or are we just not being smart enough and not saying to the banks, I'm sorry, I know you'll give me that money, but there's no way I can pay that money back and I'm just going to take a pass. Yeah, I think it's on both sides. You know, the, the banks, are, are they need to get the money out. Um, they're finding people that are willing to take it. If, if somebody offers you money that's going to help you get through a rough spot and the interest rate's fairly low, you're going to take it. it it's tough to really say no when they're throwing all this uh, this debt at you because it's from a marketing perspective they make it seem like this is really income it's going to make your life better but they leave out the part where mm. you know, you've got to pay this back i can tell you and i may have told this story on the air before but when my wife and i bought our first house and sat down to go look at the mortgage i can't remember what the exact number was that they were willing to let us go as far as a mortgage but i remember at that time my eyes almost bugged out of my head and I said are you people nuts I'll never be able to pay that amount back, but they were willing to give me that money. And you want to know something? And I bet you can back this up. I think there are probably a lot of people who think, oh, I can afford a $200,000 house. And then they go to the bank and the bank says, well, no, you could get 400000 And they say, well, let's get a $400,000 house then. Well, and that's what, if you see with today's market, like there's, if you want to buy a house, you're in line with about 10 other people. You've got to compete and you get stuck into that game where you're, you maybe you said I'm going to go in at two hundred thousand, but then you find you have to go to three fifty just to get the house you want, or you might have to go four hundred or higher. But I and that's absolutely true, and I mean it is absolutely competitive, and I don't want to be ragging on the people who are having to get in at that mark. But I'm just saying that sometimes too, you can think you've got a budget, and you realize now there's a lot more money available to me if I want it, and so you say, well, then let's just spend it. If it's there, let me take it. Well, they leave out the part where, you know, if you have a home, at some point the roof is going to need replacing, the windows are going to need replacing, and and if you've left yourself too short, how are you going to pay for that when that time comes? And that's where the more expensive debt comes in, the, the credit cards or, you know, high interest lines of credit. 
So at this point, when we look at a dollar sixty-seven owing for the average Canadian to every dollar of disposable income, um, how at risk are we? Well, I think we're getting there. Um, one of the things they also look at is a debt service ratio. So that's you know how much of your income is going to pay the debt, and that number has also been going up. And that's the one that if if you increase your rates by you know percent or percent and a half. That's when that dollar sixty-seven is just going to go kaboom, and it's going to come crashing down because now people, you go to renew your mortgage, and suddenly you find out that they've changed the calculation, and you can't afford to get that same mortgage you had before. They're going to say, "Oh no, you're going to have to pay it down," and then you have to figure out where the money's going to come from. So, what are the conditions then? If like, and again, if I'm if I'm listening right now to this and we're chatting, and I mean, I don't think most people actually have figured out to the cent like we are, $1.67, but typically, um, if people know, okay, I've got some serious debt going on here, what would be the conditions that could possibly lead an awful lot of people to suddenly end up in trouble? Well, it's, it's the ones you don't expect. It could be uh, that the place you're working at goes bankrupt or there's layoffs. Um, marriages don't always work out. If that you know, if that breaks down, now you have two people trying to fund two different households, whereas you had two incomes for one household. Uh, you know, unknown expenses, like I said, you know, the, the roof suddenly needs fixing and that's a bill you haven't anticipated. Those are the ones that you haven't really predicted. It's, it's the, uh, I guess, the unknown unknown. One of the things that you've talked about before, I read this, that uh, you are concerned about is home equity lines of credit. Explain, for those people who don't know, explain what a home equity line of credit is, first of all. Well, what ends up happening is you'll, you'll have your sort of traditional mortgage and then what the bank will look at it and they'll say, okay, we think your house is worth X amount more. And then they'll take the difference and say, well, now you can have a line of credit. And that is almost like a checking account, but your the checking account is your house. And you would just write a check for, you know, say $5,000, replace some windows, you pay it back however you want. A lot of times it's interest only. And what happens is debt is, you know, is supposed to be short term, go up and down just to sort of deal with emergencies. What ends up happening is it, it gets bigger and bigger, and all of a sudden you're at your limit, and you can only afford to pay the interest only. And at some point, your mortgage comes up for renewal, and then they'll say, "Oh, well, now we'll fold it into your mortgage." And now all of a sudden you've got to pay the principal back, and your payment just went up, and now you're you're back, you know, behind the eight ball again. See, this this sounds somewhat similar. There are TV commercials that I see every now and again pop up, and I can't remember who the actor is who's on them, and I don't remember the exact name of what they call it. It sounds similar to this, where they say, look, you can now, once you've paid off your mortgage, you're older, you're a senior now, you can live off your home. We can have a thing where we'll pay you, and essentially, I guess, what you're doing is you're selling your house bit by bit to this company, and they're giving you some income. Is that how that works? Yeah, I think they call those reverse mortgages. Yes, 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 thank you, yes. Yeah, and they, they are, I, I would consider them even more dangerous uh, because what they end up doing is they may take the value of your home, I'm not sure the exact percentages, but let's say your home is worth 200000 They might say, well, we'll give you 100000 And what happens is that 100000 yes, you have some cash, but it's going to start accruing interest and it's going to get bigger and bigger. And the theory being at some point, you know, if you pass away, that basically the lender just got your house because they now own your house once it's all said and done. We just have a minute or two left here, but um, this question, uh, it's grim. I understand this question is grim, but David, what happens if I die 
while owing a lot of money. I'm assuming my estate has to pay that off, right? I mean, it doesn't just go away. So if I've gotten myself into massive debt and then I die, what? Well, it becomes a liability, the estate, and then it's just a case of, well, what assets are are in your estate? So if, if you're the only one that owns your home, and you pass away and have all these debts, well, that equity in the home has now got to, has to go to pay those debts off. Uh, insurance usually goes directly to whoever your beneficiaries are unless you made it payable to the estate. So in some cases, the debt just doesn't get paid, but in other cases, it could start locking up assets that you had meant to be for other family members. Is there any scenario under which if I if my debt exceeded the value of my estate that my beneficiaries, my children could end up being strapped with my debt? No, only if they've co-signed on the debt. In in those cases, um, you can actually have an estate go bankrupt just to distribute the assets and and wipe the debt out. But the family members, there's no guilt by association. So there's the key. If you get way in debt, just make sure it's near the end of your life, I suppose. Uh, that's very grim and morbid, and I'm joking. I'm not actually suggesting that. But no, it's, you know, it, it is a very, again, w- when you start seeing numbers that are this high uh, and the risks that are involved, if, I mean, if you're someone who's comfortable with this and you're someone who's got a great income and you can chip away at this, I suppose it's um, maybe the cost of living the lifestyle you want. But if you're not, um, it can be a little frightening, at least it can to me. Uh, yeah, it can be very, very scary. And, you know, most people want to ask the question of, you know, how much debt is too much debt? And that's when you say, well, as soon as you're worried about it, it's too much. And it'll be varied by person. Could be a thousand, could be a hundred thousand. David Gowling, Hamilton-based insolvency trustee with MNP Debt. David, I really appreciate you taking the time to do this tonight. Thank you. All right. You're welcome. Uh, keep that in mind, though, because we it's very easy and I don't want to preach. I mean, I'm like, again, I'm the last one to preach about debt. We all have some, but um, when you start seeing numbers that say that we are getting up to two thirds again of every dollar on top of the dollar, dollar 67 to every dollar we have is now debt. We are, we are getting behind and that for a lot of people that gets to be kind of frightening. It really does. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900 CHML. Came out this week that the Ticats have been very busy. Um, and not in a way that maybe you would have expected. The Hamilton Tiger Cats, we have learned, on their super secretive, nobody knows about this, locked up in a safe somewhere on special invisible ink, secret negotiation list, they have now added Robert Griffin III, NFL quarterback of some failings, Colin Kaepernick, NFL quarterback of some failings and some inability to stand for anthems, and Johnny Manziel, NFL quarterback of a lot of failings and some questionable off-field antics. But these are all now Hamilton Tiger Cats property. If those guys are going to come to Canada and play, they got to sign with the Tiger Cats. Really? Joining me to chat about this, uh, a guy who knows a lot about the Ticats and a lot about football and a lot about a lot of things. Um, he just finished uh, a long shift here at the paper. We let him go home, refuel quickly, and then come right back on the phone. Rick Zamperin. Richard, thanks for doing this. Hey, Scott. Uh, hold on. I, I'm just uh, I'm just feeding my three cats here, uh, Robert, <laughs> Johnny, and Colin. I'm just on speakerphone. Yeah. Uh, okay, okay, there we go. Uh, no, you, they, they may be... Um, I don't even have a good line for that, but no, that's, this is, what do you make of this? 
Well, aside from being uh, a, you know, a very exciting PR story, um, it's, it's almost a uh, six months or eight months or whatever it is before Christmas. Like, who, look who we have kind of hiding behind uh, the curtain. Um, the issue is that curtain will likely never be uh, opened to reveal that Colin Kaepernick, uh, Robert Griffin III, and or Johnny Manziel will ever play a game in the CFL. And I think, you know, the hope is with any player on your negotiation list, no matter his stature, uh, is that someday, one day, uh, that player will come up north and, and you have an opportunity to negotiate a contract with that individual and he will become a star in this league. But um, I understand why they're doing it. Uh, if there is the slimmest of chance, um, you know, the higher-ups at, uh, at the Tiger Cats head office might think that, uh, you know, Player X might be able to help them sometime, uh, sometime down the road. Well, if that's the thought behind it, then darn it, I got Tom Brady on my neg list. Forget these guys. I want to have a good quarterback. Well, you know, the pros and cons of that is uh, he's 40 now. <laughs> but the other issue is... And he can't he keep might, his shirt on. It, well, that's true. <laughs> but he might be on... He, he might already be on the negotiating list. He might be on another CFL team's neg list. For all we know, Peyton Manning is on there. For all we know, Archie Manning is on some neg list in the CFL. If some CFL team has Archie Manning on their list, I really <laughs> want to talk to their general manager. Uh, I mean, I know that you know he was a good quarterback, but at what's he would be now, 75 years old? I'm not sure how effective he might be. But here's the thing about this. Oh, before I get to that, is there any way, because these are super secret lists, is there any way other than someone on the team tipping off a reporter that this could leak out? Like, do the quarterbacks or their agents know they are on a CFL list? Do the, do the GMs call them up and go, hey, agent for Johnny Manziel, your guy's on our list? This would have to come from the team, right? Yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, the players on the Ticats right now really have no idea who's on the negotiation list. They They might have a couple of names here or there. They might have a former teammate from their NCAA days uh, that would call them up to say, hey, I've just been added to the Ticats uh, negotiation list. You know, what's the city like? What's the league like? Tell me about some other players who are in the league. And, and, and some players might know a few names through that process. But by and large, uh, you know, you ask anybody in the Ticats to re- you know, reel off, you know, 20 or 30 names on that list, and they'd be hard-pressed to probably get up to five or ten. So uh, obviously it comes from the team, whether, you know, the the – the precipice is to, you know, gain some publicity in a very slow offseason at times. That might be it. And it might be that, you know, they want to uh, spark a fire under uh, maybe Zach Caleros or Jeremiah Masoli or somebody else on the team or somebody in the league that they're looking at uh, to say, uh, hey, you know, we're looking at this guy. So there could be a variety of reasons for why they did this. But see, here's the thing, and that may be the case, but... I have heard, and you've heard this too, we've read stories for the for the longest time now. We've heard people down in the States say, you know who should come here? Tim Tebow should come here. He should resuscitate his career in the CFL. And everyone says, well, no, he couldn't. It's not The CFL is not a garage league. It's not a garbage league where everybody who can't play comes and stars and becomes an NFL star. But that's kind of the interpretation you get from this. If you're a, if you're an NFL quarterback who, for whatever reason, either by your play or by your behavior, has run yourself out of a job, just go to the CFL. Come on, anybody can play there. It's just it's super easy, and then you go and become a star again. This, to me, is almost disrespectful to the rest of the league. 
Well, yeah, I, I, I agree with a lot of that because, you know, we've seen a lot of um, uh, really good NCAA players come up here and, and simply cannot play this style of game, the, the wider field, the longer field, uh, the waggle, all that kind of stuff. Uh, and we've seen some bona fide NFL stars. Dexter Manley kind of jumped out at me. Uh, you know, a, a guy who had a sensational NFL career before it was, you know, derailed by drug abuse. And certainly that continued up here uh, in Canada when, when he played uh, for Ottawa. Uh, Doug Flutie is probably the prime example of a guy who started in the NFL, starred in the CFL, and somewhat started the NFL again after his CFL career. Warren Moon's another guy who you know, cut his teeth in the Canadian Football League before going down to the NFL. So I think there's a lot of examples of guys who, Jeff Garcia is another guy, who played well, uh, exceptionally well up here and did the same down there. But there, for every one of those guys, there's probably 100 or 500 guys who just can't make that transition from NFL or American-style football to the CFL. So whether it waters it down or, or it, it paints it as a second-rate kind of football league, I don't really buy that because I've always I've always had this thought that you know what if a guy like Peyton Manning uh, or a Deion Sanders or Michael Irvin you know the superstars of the NFL could they be as good or maybe even better in the CFL and I think that debate will always wage on because it is a much different game they'd be put in much different scenarios different climates different coaching staffs the whole kit and caboodle so I think it's a great debate but I don't think it it, it waters down the CFL by any by any means but sh- who is and you would know this better because I can't think of one maybe you can who is the last quarterback from the NFL who was a semi-decent and semi-regular player in the NFL who came here to revitalize his career and did it and see Doug Flutie someone said Don Robertson last night said Doug Flutie but he was never really a player in the NFL he had gone to the USFL yeah and then never really played, and then came here, and then became an NFL star. But a guy like Colin Kaepernick or, or Robert Griffin, who's the last guy who came here to revive a career and succeeded? And succeeded, yeah. That list is very, very small, so small, I can't really think of one guy. I can't either. Uh, forget about a quarterback. You know, any player that was really good in the NFL and for whatever reason couldn't find a job and, and then continued his career up here and then was really good again, uh, you know, that list is absolutely minuscule. And, you know, the fact of the matter is, you know, nowadays the NFL and the CFL, you know, back in the 70s, the CFL, uh, or even in the 60s and 50s and, and, and whatnot, uh, you know, they paid their players more than the NFL. Yep. Nowadays, I mean, the CFL salary cap per team is just over $5 million. Uh, Colin Kaepernick has that in his bank account already. Um, so for, for a guy like that... That's, that's a like, four-game stretch for Colin yeah, Kaepernick. Basically. Uh, you know, Johnny Manziel, he's got, you know, a lot of cash in, in the bank account, although not as much as Kaepernick. RG3 would be in the same boat, too. Obviously, uh, on the uh, on the up curve of his, you know, uh, professional career trajectory, but still, again, has a lot of money in his bank account. Guys aren't going to be driven by big dollars up here. That's not why they come up here. If they want to uh, have fun playing the game, Terrence Tolliver, a great example, who said just a couple months ago when he re-signed with the Ticats, said, um, you know, I wish I had learned about the CFL much earlier in my career because here we're having a great time. It's fun playing the game. It is a game. Down in the NFL, it's more of a uh, a farm. You're you're herded from team to team, or practice to practice, uh, like cattle. It's very businesslike. There's not a lot of fun 
in the NFL unless, you know, at the end of the game and, and, and you won the game or you won the championship, yeah, you have fun. But on a day-to-day, week-to-week basis, uh, by his account, it's not a whole heck of a lot of fun. But isn't, and again, I come back and maybe I'm wrong, but to me it seems almost insulting to a guy like Zach Caleros. You have a star CFL quarterback. There's only nine teams. There's nine starting quarterbacks, and he is one of the best. And he is a guy that you should be building your brand around. And this leaks out that they have signed these three circus acts to be potentially future Ticats. And I agree with you, they'll never be here. But that's not the point. It's the fact that you're directing the attention towards these guys who are basically almost a joke in a sense and not directing the attention towards the star that you have in your stable. Yeah, and I think, and I'm not sure if this happens. I've never asked Zach or Kent or anybody around the league really what happens when you know these types of uh, leaks get out there. But, uh, you know, I can picture a guy like Kent Austin sitting Zach down and saying, hey, listen, you know, these guys are on the neck list. You know, it, it, it's slim to none that they're going to show up here. We have 100% confidence in your ability. In the back of Zach's mind, you know, you're, you, you want to believe that. But in the same sense, um, you're telling me that if you could sign that Colin Kaepernick, you're not going to? Well, I don't know. That's the big unknown. Can he play up here? I don't know. Do you want him to play up here? What are, what are the other teammates going to uh, you know do with him? And, and, and will he jive in this kind of community? I mean, let's face it. He's been in San Francisco. He's been in the biggest markets in the U.S. Uh, does he want to play in Canada? And, and, and will other teammates kind of adhere to uh, you know that superstar kind of NFL status? I don't know. I'm, you know, if I'm, if I'm the Ticats, I simply say to Zach Caleros, you're the guy. You know, these three guys on this list and, and the 30-plus others on this list are, uh, you know, maybes. Uh, obviously, we're here to win, and right now we have you on a contract, so let's go. And it's up to Caleros to say, all right, I, I believe in you, and, and let's uh, tow the party line. The negotiation list, by the way, explain, we, we skipped over this and I should have done this before. And I'm assuming most people, Rick, know what the negotiation list is, but basically give a 10 second explanation of what, when we're talking about the CFL's negotiation list, what yeah. that means. So every team has a negotiation list filled with 30 or 40 plus players, depending on the time of the season. And uh, if you're on that list, say it's, uh, well, let's say it's RG3 and he wants to come to Canada, he wants to play in the CFL. He can only negotiate with the Tiger Cats unless they drop him from the list or they trade his negotiation list rights or neg list rights to another CFL team. All imports, or can you have national players on it too? Uh, Oh, yeah, you can have national players on it as well. If they're not in the league... Uh, they're probably on your neg list or on someone's neg list. Okay, and so I there's I think I think the number is there's 45 spots in the off season, and then it goes down to 35. I think during the season, if I'm right, I stand to be corrected on that. But if you can include national players and the CFL, the the teams in the CFL, yes, your import players help, but you are not going to have a good team unless you have strength of Canadian players on your roster. Is this not using up three pretty valuable spots? that you could be using for other guys that maybe you could hold on to that would be of more use to you? Yeah, and I don't know the numbers, um, but let's let's stick with the 35 negla spots in season. I mean, how many of those guys in the course of a year or two years, even five years, how many of those guys are you going to get to sign on a contract? I, I think it's way less than half. Um, so, you know, what's what's the big deal of using three or even five kind of wild card spots or whatever spots you want to call them on guys that you think really have a slim shot at ever coming up here. But you just never know. I mean, Vince Young was probably in this boat 10 years ago. I'm not sure how long Saskatchewan 
had him on their neck list, probably not for very long. But lo and behold, he's up in the CFL. So I don't blame teams for adding these kind of you know crazy uh, you know uh, slim to none chance uh, names from the NFL uh, on their list or the NCAA or undrafted guys on their list uh, because you just never know. Circumstances change, and, and you might you know hit the lottery. Do you? Vince Young is going to at least show up, we understand, at training camp for Saskatchewan. Do you expect that on opening day of the regular season of the 2017 Canadian Football League season that Vince Young will be wearing green and white and starting for the Saskatchewan Rough Riders? I think he'll be wearing green and white on opening day, but I do not think he'll be the starting quarterback. I think uh, if it's not Kevin Glenn, I would be shocked if it was Vince Young or somebody else on that roster. I think with a team that is rebuilding, uh, you want some stability, and the most important spot on the team that you want stability is quarterback. Kevin Glenn has been in this league for well over a decade, has been to uh, you know uh, important playoff games, uh, once played in Saskatchewan. He's a, a pro's pro, a great teammate. Um, I would be absolutely shocked if he was not the starter. Now, that's not to say that Vince Young won't start a game, in 2017 but if he comes out of camp and is still on the team i think uh, sometime down the road he'll get a start because let's face it saskatchewan's not going to be the most competitive team again they'll get some wins but they'll be on the wrong side of the ledger more often than not so i think as the season rolls on uh, if kg gets injured or who knows what happens um circumstance wise that uh, vince young will uh will make at least one start in the cfl this season they Saskatchewan has the Grey Cup in 2018, right, at their new stadium? Yes. Will Vince Young be competing for a Grey Cup in 2018? Wow. No, I can't see that happening. I can't see that franchise turning it around that that quickly. No. He may be that good that he's the one player that can be better than all the other players combined. Because <laughs> he is, Rick, an NFL quarterback. Yes. That's he what this whole thing is about. He is an uh, NFL quarterback. Yeah. He won the Heisman Trophy, former Pro Bowler. Yeah, whatever. Uh, but listen, he's, uh, I think he's three or maybe four years younger than Kevin Glenn. And Kevin Glenn is a, a long beard in the CFL, let's face it. He's also uh, three or four X's in shirt side bigger than Kevin Glenn. <laughs> That's true, too. So, yeah, I don't think he's going to be the same player as he was in his college days and certainly not in his NFL days. But I think he'll be good enough to hang around because, you know, apart from Kevin Glenn, I can't even name you another quarterback with Saskatchewan. I'd have to go to the roster online just to see who they got. Uh, they may, they're actually doing a, um, a tryout camp, I think, for guys like you and me, if you want to come and try out. I'm not sure. I know all teams have free agent camps. We can pay our fee, <laughs> uh, bring our cleats, and get pummeled into the turf. Yes, we can do that. That would be very interesting. <laughs> uh, hey, as I let you go, have you ever, as a member of the media with access to dressing rooms... <laughs> Have you ever stolen a quarterback's jersey, just to be clear? Scott, I have not even thought of doing anything that ridiculous. This is one of the strangest stories that, uh, that I remember seeing. Now, for those who don't know what we're talking about, you've probably heard the story that after the Super Bowl, Tom Brady's jersey went missing, and now they have discovered that it appears anyway, it was a, an accredited reporter from some publication in Mexico, mm-hmm. And if you go online on Twitter, for people who go on Twitter, go to Jay Glazer, who is, he's a Fox Sports, right? Fox uh, Football, Glazer, G-L-A-Z-E-R. He was on a TV show today and has, I mean, it's like an episode of CSI or something. He's got (laughs) hidden video cameras and and it's, it's unbelievable. They've got the whole crime on tape with this reporter dude. 
But man, oh man, who who thinks when they have access to the dressing room that hey, I got a great idea. Let me steal the Super Bowl winning quarterback's jersey. It's bizarre. Well, and they also found Von Miller's helmet from the previous Super Bowl in the same suspect's home. <laughs> how? Okay, I can understand how you could potentially smuggle a jersey out under your coat. How do you smuggle out a guy's helmet? I think he just wore it out. <laughs> I think he just owned it. <laughs> you, you, I, saw a great, I saw a great tweet uh, earlier yesterday. Uh, I can't remember who sent it out, but it was basically they didn't build the wall soon enough. <laughs> <laughs> well, they needed to build it to keep him in. Yeah, it, yeah. Uh, it's um, it is one of the strangest stories, and and here's the downside to it. And this is of no interest probably to anybody listening, but for people like you and me who actually work in this business. I just know, and it will eventually trickle down to those who read and follow sports. This is going to be used to impact access more and more and more to more players, and there will be less access to players, less stories, less stuff, because they will now say, a lot of teams will say, well, we can't afford to have you guys stealing stuff. Yeah. Well, the the easy, yeah, I mean, the easy uh, punishment or penalty or, or new rule would be no access to the locker room. The locker room is for players and coaches only. How this guy slipped through is still beyond me. I mean, they, they unleashed 20,000 accreditations to the Super Bowl and the, and the festival and the whole bit, and they had to scour 20,000 of these things before they matched uh, his accreditation with the face and the, and the video footage that they had inside the locker room. Absolutely tremendous. They have people who show up for Super Bowl media day dressed as like giant size bunny rabbits and stuff. Yeah. And that is normal. But a guy who gets a pass and goes and steals Tom Brady stuff. I, I just, I don't <laughs> understand the whole thing. Anyway, Rick Zamperin, always appreciate the time. Thanks for doing this. Maybe one of these years we'll see Colin, Ka- you'll be able to interview Colin Kaepernick here live on CHML because he will be the starting quarterback of your Hamilton Tiger cats. Don't bet on it. Rick Zamperin. Thanks. <laughs> see you, Scott. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not putting down any uh, dineros on any of those guys seeing any playing time. And as I say, frankly, I, I find it to be kind of kind of insulting to the league, quite frankly. I mean, I, I get, I suppose, why they want to do it. But you've got Zach Galeros here. You've got other guys who have played this game. And it's not that you've even put them on the negotiation list. I, I'm going to be interested if we ever find out how this got out. How did we find out? And I'm glad we did, but how did we find out? Because if this did leak from the team, as opposed to, I don't know how the other way this could have got out, then this is a PR thing. And that's why I find it kind of insulting to Zach Claros. If, look, if this document was accidentally, someone hit send and sent it to the wrong person and it got out that way, or if an agent if all three of these guys' agents all said, yes, I'm on the Nagless, that's a different thing. But if this came from the team, this is this is looking for attention by focusing on three guys who are failed in their league and are never going to set foot up here. That's why I find it insulting, Luke. But uh, obviously, they're not going to come up here. But of course if we, not. If, if we look at, so Manzella side, because it seems like there might be... He probably be wouldn't a, be allowed over the There border. might be an off chance that he does, considering he worked out for a CFL team this offseason. Well, maybe he did. Sorry, he theoretically worked out for... a. CFL team that has been known to flout the rules on various occasions. Maybe. Anyways, with Colin Kaepernick, you have a guy who is a legitimate NFL starting quarterback. I would jump at the chance to to sign him. This is this is a guy who's he's, but he, he's he, he is he, I, he made twenty million or eighteen million right. dollars and, last year and 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 for that reason and a lot of others he probably would not come here. But 
he is right now in a situation, honestly, it's a little bit similar to Warren Moon. He's not he's not out of an NFL job because of his talent. He's out of an NFL job because of some arbitrary reason that the owners have decided or that the general managers and coaches have decided, which means that if you had a chance to, yeah, I'd absolutely go for it. And with Griffin, I mean, the same reason that a CFL team would want him is the reason why NFL teams keep giving him a chance. The guy oozes talent. Yeah, so, but Robert Griffin would actually trip coming from the dressing room of the field yeah, and be out for the season yeah, with a broken femur. Of course, but I mean, it's when you look at the raw talent that the guy has, that's why people keep trying to give him a chance. So I, there's there's reasons to put it on, put him on there, and I believe Zach is one of the best quarterbacks in the CFL, if not the best quarterback in the CFL too, but... The the talent that these guys have and the fact that they are both more mobile quarterbacks, which is what you have to be to succeed in the CFL, it's it's kind of tempting to at least try, right? The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900, AM 900 CHML.